so I've debated talking about my own struggles with mental health on the podcast since it started, really, uh, for a couple of reasons. The first was that I know probably most people nowadays have their own mental health stories, and I didn't want to seem like mine was more important or I was special or anything like that. I also didn't want to be seen or to be taught that I was doing it for attention or trying to build a following or trying to get followers. But I think the real reason that I didn't want to do it was that I didn't want to be vulnerable and to talk about it because it's not an easy subject for anyone to talk about. But I'm, I'm going to talk about it today. Hopefully, if someone is listening and they're struggling, they can get something from it. Maybe a bit of hope. Maybe you're not struggling. Maybe you might just get to know me better, if nothing else. So I have a story and I'm going to tell it. So we might as well start to start. So my childhood was normal. I was no different from anyone else, really. I was just a regular child. Went to school. I was confident. I was happy. I was carefree. All the way through primary school, played sports, loads of friends, no issues. Uh, that carried on then into first year. I had the same fears as everyone else going into secondary school. I didn't know many people, but I was okay. I got on with it. I knew everyone else was in the same boat and made friends. Got on well. There was no issues there. Then when I turned 14, not the day I turned 14, but pretty soon after, um, or soon before even, sorry, my auntie uh, committed suicide. And I remember that day clearly still. I was in school and I was called out of class and brought down to reception where my auntie on the other side was waiting for us. Myself, my brother Brendan were down there. And I remember walking down and seeing Helen in reception crying. And she told us Nora had committed suicide. And I didn't know what suicide was when she told me. I had heard the word before, but I didn't know what it meant. Uh, Brendan did. So he understood what was going on. I didn't really, I, I didn't cry because I wasn't fully aware of what was happening. And I remember driving out of the school gates and I asked Helen what was happening. And she told me Nora had killed herself. And I finally understood it then, what it was. I had never heard of anyone doing that before. And I just, I still couldn't cry because I was trying to understand what was going on. Uh, I remember getting home and it was something I've never experienced since. And I've had family members pass away since and I've had other tragedies and other issues but not never felt like this it was as if the world sort of stood still 
and no matter what was taught or what was said, it didn't make sense. Um, it's something you never really get over. You move on with your life and life does go on as normal, but it's it's still there in the back of your head whenever it's mentioned the topic of suicide and um, it's something that a family never really gets over but there's been positives that have come from that I think my family are very much a strong family we very rarely argue I, I can't remember the last time I had an argument with a family member that wasn't trivial or had any sort of malice or intent to upset them since um, I have the most supporting loving family unit and I owe my life to them really uh, as I'll get into in a while but I think that you need not that you need but tragedy brings that in I think I think my family as well as a lot of others who've had suicide or any sort of tragedy know that that's what can happen and it can come out of nowhere so it's important to love the people around you while you can because they, they can be taken away in an instant. Uh, after that, in my teenage years, there was a lot of repressed anger that I wasn't aware of what it was at the time. Um, I obviously started hit puberty around that age or soon after, and I started to develop physically. I got stronger, I got better at sports, and that was, a massive outlet for me to deal with my anger that I was holding on to and I got good at sports I put myself fully into it and I honestly didn't allow myself to think about anything else and that kind of made things dwell inside of me as well there was a lot of self-directed hatred I was very hard on myself and I still can be, but I definitely have gotten better at it since then. So that was kind of my mid teens and it gradually got worse into my late teens. I started putting a lot of pressure on myself to be better, to be the best. And if I wasn't the best, I was very hard on myself again. I never really allowed myself to feel proud of anything I did. Whatever I did, that was just a consequence of the work and I still had a lot more to do. I was never going to be good enough for myself or for anyone else, no matter how much I did, because I was never going to reach that bar. I was never going to be okay with just being 
Mark Halpin in that mindset. I was in, and the later I got into my teens, it just got worse and worse, and it led started leading into fairly severe depression and anxiety. Uh, I was playing senior football, Gaelic football, at a fairly young age. I think I was 17, 18 when I started playing, and that was just through the effort of I was putting into sport and into physicality, and I just put everything into that, and I got onto the senior football team, and that was kind of the only good thing in my life at that stage and because I put so much weight on it for being the only good thing in my life I stopped enjoying it I pushed myself way too hard I got injured and then when I got injured I, I couldn't train so I was left with just my mind which was incomplete shit and so things got fairly bad from there. Uh, it was in my leave insert year. I was coming up to my leave insert when I got injured for the first time. And around that time, my granddad, who we would have been fairly close to, passed away. I was doing my leave insert. I made absolutely no effort with my leave insert. I didn't do homework in fifth or sixth year. I just didn't care. I just showed up every day and sat there and just waited for it to be over because I had to. So then when the leave insert came around, I was fucked for it. And knowing that while I couldn't train, I couldn't put the work into football or the gym. I was just left to stew in what I had let happen with my education. Uh, I was in a relationship at the time that started slipping as well because I put no effort into that either and that started falling apart. There was a lot of arguing. So I, there was a space of three weeks around my leave insert where I didn't speak to anyone and that's not really much of an overstatement. I remember not actually having a conversation with anyone for about three weeks and so my mother noticed this obviously brought me into the doctors we got antidepressants anti-anxiety medication the doctor referred me to a behavioral psychologist called dr martin kelly who turned out to be a massive help for me in the future but not exactly then because i didn't want the help i was only doing it because i was being made so what i noticed with the antidepressants and the anti-anxiety medication was i did feel less negative thoughts but I felt more negative in my body. It altered my relationship with reality massively. And there's a large part of this area of my life between the ages of 17 to maybe 21. They're kind of blurry. 
because of the medication I was on, actually because of the medication and a few other things, which I'll talk about. Uh, so I was on the antidepressants. I was working with Martin. I was on the anti-anxiety medication and I still felt useless. I still felt like I had no direction. I just felt like I was here, just landed in this life with nothing to do with it. And so I got very bad at being consistent with the medication. I'd take it some days, some days I wouldn't, I'd forget. Some days I'd say, fuck it, I'm not taking that. And that obviously is a bad thing to do. So when that happened, I started getting worse. I began self-harming. What I would do was I'd take a nail scissors and I would slice parts of my body that couldn't really be seen. So I still have scars around my ankle, some on my chest and a couple on my hand. And I used to do that to get a break from what was happening in my head. I could feel something in my body, just the sudden, the sharpness of the pain was a relief from the pain. The pain in my head. Um, it was also a visual representation for me of what was happening in my head, that I had something to show for it because I couldn't verbalize, I couldn't tell anyone how I was feeling, really. I could try, but I just didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the wherewithal to be able to do it. So at least I could see that there was pain there when I looked at these areas. Another form of self-harm, which I got into, was punching myself in the head, which I used to do to help myself fall asleep. I obviously didn't understand the damage this could do, or maybe I did, and I just did it anyway. So when I was lying in bed and I couldn't sleep, and the thoughts were spiraling in my head, and the feelings were in my body, I just wanted to turn it off. So I thought I'd hit the off switch myself. And uh, I can confirm, I do hit hard and when I'm not trying to dodge it, I can hit the right place. I could hit the right place. So what I would do is I would regularly do that and I keep punching myself until I couldn't feel anything. So I give myself concussions pretty regularly, uh, which is hard to imagine now that I could do that knowing what I know about concussions and it is something I do worry about, but it's not worth me worrying about. I do as much as I can now to look after my brain, look after the physical aspects of my brain through nutrition, sleep, saunas, all these things. And that's kind of one of the reasons I do take these things kind of far is I know that I'm trying to mitigate any damage that has been done or any damage that could be done through playing sport. Um, so this happened 
for a while, like a good time, I'd say at least a year I done that for not every night, probably not even every week, but more regular than it should have been. Uh, I dealt with suicidal thoughts regularly as well. I used to be in my room alone, crying. My mother would come up and find me, my father as well. And all I could do was apologize to them for being a burden. And I didn't really understand what I meant at the time. Because they would ask me, what do you mean you're a burden? And I'd tell them I don't know. But I did know, now looking back on it, the way I felt. Um, I felt like I, I was such a, a negative thing in their life that they had this son that was going through this and was causing them so much worry. And they just wanted me to be well and I couldn't be. So I felt like a burden because I was too afraid to actually go and commit suicide myself. And thank God I was too afraid to do that. Um, so eventually I was sent to Newcastle because I was becoming a danger to myself. I was stayed there, I think it was for one day. And I remember being in there, I was checked in, done the tests. They told me I had clinical depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and bipolar type one or two, which I later found out I don't have, that that was a misdiagnosis. I'm not bipolar and I never was. Uh, so I remember after the check-ins, going down to the, the sitting room area in Newcastle, and there was an old man there in a robe who I tried to have a conversation with, but I couldn't. He just wasn't registering the words I was saying and couldn't uh, express anything back to me really to show that what I was saying was logging with him. So I, I was a smoker at the time and there's a smoking area there that is a locked room so you can't get out. I remember going in and standing there smoking. There was another fella in there smoking a cigarette and he pulled something out of his pocket, turned into the wall when no one was looking and he smoked something else that wasn't a cigarette. I don't know what it was, but I remember thinking I shouldn't be here when I saw that. So I went back, talked to the nurses, could have been the following day or that night. I told him, look, I don't belong here. I'm just sad. I'll be able to find a way out of this myself. They brought me back into the psychiatrist there. I was eventually able to convince him that this place wasn't for me. I don't need this place. I'm going to fix myself. So they let me out. I went back home. I struggled again for another while. I was put on more medication. So at one stage I was taking seven or eight different medications a day for my mental health 
there was the antidepressants, anti-anxieties, the stuff I was given for bipolar disorder. I don't have, I was put on a mood blocker and a couple of other things I can't really remember. Again, as I said, there's parts of this area of my life that I don't remember fully. So eventually I kind of started thinking, look, this isn't how I'm supposed to feel. I don't feel like myself anymore. I feel like a zombie. How do I fix this? So I went to a different psychiatric hospital, a day hospital, to see about coming off some of the medication I was on. So I spent a while in there, a couple of visits, doing tests. Eventually they told me, look, you're not bipolar. That was a misdiagnosis. You are dealing with clinical depression and a generalized anxiety disorder. So we're going to start lowering your dosages while working with CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I gradually came off medication after about six months. After that, I knew I had to keep looking after my mental health if I was going to be off of medication. So there was a place that someone had recommended to me before while I was sick. It was uh, the mother of my girlfriend at the time. And obviously I didn't listen at the time. I didn't want help, so I didn't care. But I looked up this place anyway. It was I Mind Coach in Dundrum. And it was this guy who basically sat me down in a chair, a recliner, talked me through a, a hypnotherapy type session, just got me into my own body. And we done a psychoanalysis session there. And walking out of there was the first time after the first session that I actually felt normal again since I was a child. And so I went to see him maybe 10 more times and he gave me tapes to listen to one in the morning and one before bed. And they were just meditations. They were to get me in to something called an alpha brainwave state, which I honestly don't fully understand. I'm not a neurobiologist, but whatever it did helped me tremendously. And I think that work that I did with him still stands to me today. I went back then as well, working with the behavioral psychologist I had originally worked with, who I made no effort in the sessions with originally. But I started working with him now because I wanted to be better. I could feel myself being pulled back upwards and I wanted to keep working on that positive momentum. So I worked with Martin for a long while after that and made a massive amount of progress. And I got to the point where I didn't need him anymore. I was self-sufficient with my mental health. And so I was able to start my life again, really. I done my first course in personal training because I knew that's what I wanted to be. 
I finished that, completed it. After that, I decided I want to go back to college to get a retail management and marketing degree because I knew I wanted to start my own personal training business. So I thought having a degree would help. Now, college wasn't for me. I got to the end of second year. It was a two-year course. I ended up failing and not going back. But I knew that that degree wasn't going to help me because I wanted to start my own business. And college was never for me. School was never for me. But I think I got what I needed from it. And so from there, I went working in different jobs. Jobs I didn't really like, but gave me experience and taught me about what I don't want to do, really. Just factory jobs, office jobs, and I think I had to do those jobs just to prove myself that I wasn't going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. I had to take things into my own hands and start my own business, basically. I always knew I was going to do that. But before I wanted to do that, I had always said I wanted to go to Australia. While I was sick, I said, that, look, that's something I just I want to do. I want to go and live in Australia for a while. And I did that. And that was just another thing off the checklist that I thought would never really be possible that I did. I never thought I'd get better. I never thought I'd actually make the steps to become a personal trainer. I never thought I'd go to Australia. And I'd done all those things. Or did. Apparently, I mix up done and did a lot. Uh, so after that, I came back, studied personal training further, got another degree in that. And I started my own business. And since then, I've met Breed and now I'm going to be a daddy. I'm sure I've left out a lot of stuff. In fact, I know I've left out a lot of stuff in this story. And I've left out a lot of the positive things as well. My life hasn't been all negative. Those years weren't all negative. Some wonderful things happened. I met some wonderful people. I had some great days. I've been happy. We can't really appreciate the happiness without the sadness. And it's not forever. You're going to go through hard times. Everyone is. It's absolutely impossible to be happy all the time. And anyone who says they are is not only lying to you, but maybe lying to themselves. I can honestly say I'm happy now. And I've been happy for a while. I've been happy for maybe the last four, four years, four or five years, maybe. And I'm not saying I'm not going to ever struggle again, but I know I'll never get back to there. I heard a, on a podcast recently, Andrew Huberman, who's a neurobiologist, saying that in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a saying that no matter how far down the road you are, you're never too far from the ditch or you're always the same distance from the ditch. And that makes sense in terms of mental health. I know firsthand how hard it can get and how bad it can be. So I'll never allow myself to go back there.
that's why I think it's important to talk about mental health because it can so easily slip into such a dark place and to make people aware of it, of how important it is to look after your mind more than anything else. Look after your own mind because that's how you experience the world. If that's one thing anyone can get from this is just be good to yourself, be good to your mind. the help works please use the help if you're struggling that is how you get through it you will not get through it alone trying to do it alone will make it worse i know that firsthand there's no way i'd be here today if it wasn't for my parents if it wasn't for my brothers if it wasn't for my friends like Gavin Stamp and James Flood, who I know people who know them, you might not think they're, uh, they'd be good with this stuff, but they really are. And I honestly owe a massive amount to them. Of course, the help of Martin Kelly and the Mind coach and people who showed me that there's ways you can do this yourself. You don't need to be told that there's something wrong with you you need to take a pill now obviously there are cases where it is needed and everybody is different but i think a lot of people could do with just taking on some daily practices to look after their mind and it could change everything for them and one person i can't let this podcast go by with out mentioning is michael dwyer Michael has been there through all of what I've just talked about by my side. And he's never once said he's too busy. He's never once turned away. He's never once not answered a phone call, not answered a text, not shown up when I needed him there, not giving me the hand I need. Anything I've asked Michael to do with me, he's done. And he's come through even further than I've ever expected. He's the reason the podcast is where it is today. He's There's a reason he's going to be the godfather of my child. I can't thank him enough for what he's done. And Michael, if you're listening to this, I'll never be able to express in words how grateful I am to have you as my friend. But just know that I do. That's it, lads. I've talked about myself for God knows how long, way too long. So if you've actually listened this far, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And be good to yourself.